So um, friends, if you've been in church for a while, you'll know that today is the day that the great prophecy given by Isaiah, some 700 years before the birth of Christ has been fulfilled. Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 to 7 uh, says this, for, uh, for, for unto us or for to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. There it is uh, on the screen. That, uh, what a rejoicing that is. What a celebration that is. That our, our peace has come. Our hope has come. Our joy has come. And love himself has come to dwell with us. It's, it's the real reason why millions of people are gathering all across the world uh, and have done so for centuries to celebrate this incredible day, which is the, the birth of Christ. And so uh, this morning for us, church, I have the wonderful privilege of sharing a message with you on what is the second biggest day of the year for us uh, as a church. Uh, the, first, the first being, of course, Easter, Easter Sunday. Um, and um, it really is an absolute honor for me to be sharing this message with you this morning as we consider how the birth of Christ speaks to us being born again. Now, I'm aware this morning that there are people in the room who attend church on those two days, Christmas and Easter, and on those two days only. Um, the CEO Christians, as I like to call them. Christmas and Easter only Christians. Don't worry, that was me too. I was there. I'm really glad that you're here. Um, I'm also aware this morning that there are people who are attending church on Christmas Day today or who are listening online on Spotify or SoundCloud who have been doing so since the late 1600s. You know, the veterans of our faith. Are there any veterans of our faith here this morning that help co-write the doctrine? Um, You've heard every kind of possible Christmas message that there is, right? Everything from the wise men in the nativity story that, um, that followed the star to come to where Jesus was lying in a manger, um, telling us that Christianity doesn't mean that we check our intellect at the door when we follow Jesus. It requires that we invest into following Jesus with our whole mind, body, soul, and spirit. And it also reveals that we should be wise about who we follow, right? We follow the light. We come to the place that we should be. You've heard everything from the wise men to the shepherds out in the field that represent Jesus as the good shepherd, right, over us, his sheep, to the story of Joseph, Mary's husband, uh, and how even when the culture of the time would have cast them out, he didn't ignore the direction and the plan of God. And instead of divorcing Mary quietly, he married her. And this teaches us that obedience to God always produces a greater miracle than giving in to the pressures of the world ever could. Often... Um, thought about it this way, what would Christmas be if Joseph ran away? <laughs> what would it have been? And then I thought, what would our lives be if we keep running away from the plan that God has for us? But that, that part was for free. That's just a separate message. Some of us are like, cool, sermon done, we can go home. Best Christmas ever, Dominie Bai, Dankie ons gaan We're going to get out of here. But don't worry, I've got a couple more points to make, you know, before you get to your gammon and trifle. But, um, no matter which of those categories you fall into, friends, the, the reason why I say that as an introduction to the message this morning is because I want you to know that all of us, no matter the background, no matter the culture, the past, or the present that we come from, we all have something to receive in and through the message of Christmas. We all have something to receive, and it's something that we could never have earned by our own efforts. You see, Unlike Santa, who we understand gives gifts to, you know, the girls and boys that have been good throughout the year, um, the message of Christmas Day is that God, who didn't need anything from you or me, from a fallen mankind, chose to send us someone. 
He chose to give us someone, Jesus, who lived a life that we never could and who got what we deserved so that we could get what he deserved. This is what Christians call grace. And this is the glorious message behind the birth of Jesus. And it's best evidenced, I guess you could say, in the giving of God's son to you and me as the gift. Where that when received would make us complete. It would make us whole. And it's not something that we could earn by being good. <laughs> you know, it's not something that we could do because we were a very good or very bad Christian, you know. It's something that was freely given because he was perfect. You know, that's why we should never fall into the trap of saying, you know, oh, I'm not a very good Christian. I don't deserve something from God. Well, it was never really about you and I anyway, was it? It was never really about our own efforts in proving that we should get God to give us something. It was about him and his perfection. You know, uh, Galatians uh, chapter 4 in verse 4 to 5, this is where the Apostle Paul makes this distinction between this works of the law and righteousness by faith. And he puts it this way. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We're getting into the meaty stuff early this morning, aren't we? But I think it's important that we, that we do that because we want to understand correctly where we are in terms of who made the first move on this Christmas Day morning that we're celebrating today. So no matter where you are in your relationship to God right now, I want you to know, friends, that you are perfectly positioned right where you are to receive something of a fresh revelation in your, in your spiritual journey. You are perfectly positioned right where you are. And my hope as the, as the preacher man responsible for the, morning, uh, for, the, for the message this morning, and indeed, I guess our whole, uh, our whole church's hope, as Father's asked Jobe, is that you would find something of the miraculous this morning in what might seem mundane, you know, just another Christmas. Or you might find something miraculous in what might seem mysterious. I don't understand this whole concept. Or even man-made. Our hope is that you will experience a fresh revelation of who God is. Because yeah, we always say this as Father's as Asked but we don't want people just to have a good experience of God. We want you to have a genuine encounter with Him. And something that would transform you. And that's going to be our hope this morning in, in uh, sharing this message with you. And we're going to look at some scriptures together to help us do that. Are you with me? Amen. I promise you're going to get to your trifle soon. Stay with me. We should be out of here by about 1.32. Check all the visitors looking for the nearest exit. So this morning, friends, speaking of Scripture, we're going to go into um, a great uh, a passage uh, in the Bible together this morning as we start. Uh, Revelation chapter 13. You guys know the chapter with the, the beast that comes out of the sea with the, with the ten heads and the seven horns. Check, now the visitors are really nervous. <laughs> They're like, he demands his mull, I'm getting out of here. No, we're not going to do Revelation today. We're praying that the only good thing that comes out of the ocean this December is good surf or a good cob or yellowtail or something. If you're not a fisherman or surfer, welcome to Father's House, Jabba. It's nice to have you. But um, in all seriousness, friends, Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. Uh, I love it when the production team is ahead of the pastor. That's awesome. Um, Exodus chapter 16. You're welcome to turn with me there in your Bibles or on your Bible app. Um, as we know, the Bible has two testaments, the old and the. Some people think there's a third, the Ma Testament. You know, so then you get scriptures like own opinion, 5 verse 12. And people take scripture out of context and make people feel hurt and confused. Just 
you know, just stick to the Bible. Just talk about what's in there, you know. And I'm sorry, by the way, if you have been part of a church service somewhere where you heard one of these weird gospels, like the prosperity gospel, where you've got to give and then God will bless you, or the, you know, God told me gospel where only one person could hear from him and, you know, everyone else had to just my beg, you know, or the, the gospel where the Holy Spirit is reduced to some weird behavior that happens in the front of a church service afterwards, you know. Sorry, that's just a little postal rant, but I'm sorry if you experienced that. We'll do everything we can to just keep church simple. Is that an amen moment? Just keep church simple. Maybe the New Year's resolution for some people is just don't be weird, 2024. Just don't be weird. Stick to the Bible. Okay, anyway, Exodus 16. The story, uh, we pick up the story. Uh, this is the story of God's chosen people. They've just come out of captivity in Egypt under Pharaoh. Who remembers the story? Uh, Pharaoh's like, finally, after the 10 plagues, he lets his people go. And then him and his buddies are like, no, man, hang on a second. We want to bring them back. Let's chase after them. They get to the Red Sea. What happens at the Red Sea? Uncle Mo holds out his staff and the sea parts and the children of Israel walk through and the Egyptians, they go for a very long scuba diving session without a tank. They drown. Right? It's a wonderful rescue and deliverance of God's people. And they're on their way to the promised land. They're on their way to this future that God has destined for them. Now, you might be thinking, how on earth does this story in Exodus 16 connect to the Christmas message? Like, is Lloyd feeling okay this morning? Just pause there for a moment. We know in Christianity that the Old Testament, it's full of imagery and indications as to what was to come in Christ, right? We know that the Old Testament is kind of like a mirror, as Hebrews puts it. It's a reflection of what was going to be revealed in the person of Jesus. So whenever you read the Old Testament, Read it with the understanding or, with, or through the filter of Christ. Look for, look for pictures. Look for imagery. Look for descriptions. Look for ways to see Jesus in the Old Testament because that's, that's what it does. And I promise you when you do, it'll, it'll blow your mind. So that's the little backdrop. Let's see what we found in the passage of Exodus 16 and how that connects to the story uh, from which I can draw three simple points uh, for you this morning on this, on this Christmas day. Exodus 16, the entire Israelite community departed from Elam and came to the wilderness of Sin. Interesting name. Which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after they had left the land of Egypt, the, the entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. So dramatic. So dramatic. They made their Facebook status. Checking in, promised land, feeling upset, you know. Uh, when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread he wanted, instead you brought us out into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. I mean, come on. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. We know this happened a lot for the Israelites in the book of Exodus, right? On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is going to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So the sixth day will be twice as much. So at evening, uh, verse 13, quail came and covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew all around the camp. God provided these two things. When the layer of dew evaporated, there were fine flakes on the desert surface, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they asked one another, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. Moses told them, it's the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each, as each person needs to eat. You may take two quarts per individual. Um, that's not black label. Uh, 
court. Um, it's a measurement. Different kind of court. I've got more amens to that than any other scripture I've read the whole morning. Oh, now we, we know who we're talking to. Um, you may take two courts per individual according to the number of people each of you has in his tent. So the Israelites did this. Some gathered a lot, some gathered a little. When they measured it by courts, the person who gathered a lot had no surplus. And the person who gathered a little had no shortage. Each gathered as much as he needed to eat. So the house of Israel named the substance manna. It resembled coriander seed. It was white and tasted like wafers made with honey. I like to think of it as salty cracks with Nutella. That's how I understand that passage. Salty cracks with Nutella. Verse 32, Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Two quarts of it are to be preserved throughout your generations so that they may see the bread I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Oh man, that's a great passage of scripture. It's a chunky passage of scripture, I know, but stay with me. There's some meaningful encouragement that we can take from it and use as, as, um, as applications to our lives today. And I wanted to talk to you this morning, church, about three transformations, three transformations that the birth of Christ accomplishes in our lives based on the story. Three transformations for humanity that the birth of Christ makes possible from the story. And here's how, you see, the Israelites, they are a picture of all of us. They are a representation of, a description of, an imperfect people trying to follow after a perfect God. They were broken people on a journey towards some place in the future that's better than the past that they came from. They're a, they're a wandering people, right? There is, there are wandering people journeying towards this promised land, this place that they could finally call their own. And the wilderness, that represents a place that is in a state of chaos, a place of need, a place where there's a sense of desperation for something new to arrive and to bring a rescue of some kind. And this leads us to point number one this morning, is that the story of the Israelites in Exodus foreshadows or predicts the coming of Christ in the New Testament and shows us that Jesus brings us from wandering in the wilderness to welcomed home. Jesus brings us from wandering in the wilderness to welcomed home. That the, the transformation that we experience in Christ is that we go from wilderness wandering to welcomed home. You know, most of us know that nativity scene in Luke chapter 2, right? The famous story. I'm sure most, most of us would have even seen it displayed at some shopping centers where Jesus is born in a manger in a stable because there was no room for him available in the inn. I think that's remarkable. You see, because just like the Israelites were wandering in a desert, Seeking for a place of refuge, all of us were like that too. We were wandering in the desert, looking for somewhere that we could call home. This is representative of a soul that's looking for a savior. And all of us, at some point in our spiritual journeys, have been going through various wildernesses in life, wondering when we could finally find a place to settle. And here Jesus is, born in a stable, a place away from all the comforts of home, so he could relate to us. He could relate to mankind wondering and say, don't worry, I'll be your home. I'll be your home. When you're in me, you have a place that you can call home. I'll be the place where you can find safety. Welcome home. Welcome home, friend. And I wonder this morning, church, if you've ever felt like you've been in a wilderness of some kind. You've been wondering. There's this restlessness in your soul that feels like it hasn't been able to settle. I want you to know this morning that you can find your home in Christ. 
and allow him to make his home in your heart. He is the place where your wandering heart can find its home. And although we didn't have time to go into the deeper theology of it this morning, that wilderness of sin that I was talking about, it doesn't have a direct correlation to the English word that we use for sin. It's not like, you know, like we understand it. But sin is certainly what happened in that particular wilderness. Look at how they were complaining. You know, it wasn't the hectic idol worship and all that sort of stuff. That came later. Um, but they were complaining bitterly to Moses. They had forgotten. They had just come out of the Red Sea by a miracle. I mean, you walk through Kabulios Lagoon, that parts, right? And you get to the other side and you start complaining. We should have died in Egypt. Hey? But that's what sin does, doesn't it? Sin wants to keep you complaining. And when you start complaining long enough, you start acting out the wrong behavior. You start taking for granted the very thing you were praying for in a previous season. That's what the wilderness does. That's what sin does. It tries to twist the things of God and make them seem harmful or hurtful. It makes you want to go back and do things your own way. And maybe you're here this morning, friend, or if you're listening online and you felt worn out and tired from all the wondering, all the complaining and the restlessness. Maybe you've experienced this wilderness to get to that question. Man, there's got to be something more to life than this. We all experience these wilderness moments that bring us to this place of, of going, God, there must be more than what I can see. And I want you to know this morning, friend, that God, in the person of Jesus, wants to be your home. He wants to be that place of safety for your heart. You just need to accept the invitation that he's putting forward for you this morning. Can you say amen to that? Ephesians chapter 3, one of my favorite passages. Look at these words. It says, for this, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. This is Paul praying for the church. He says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, the height and depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Friends, the experience, the transformation experience that we have in Christ is that we can go from wandering in the wilderness to welcomed home, home in the Savior. Amen. Secondly, the message of Christmas revealed in the story of the Israelites tells us that we can go from starving to spiritually satisfied. We can go from starving to spiritually satisfied. Now, I'm aware that this point has the word starving in it. And I'm aware that that's what a lot of us are right now, as you consider the leg of lamb that's busy cooking in your oven. Um, and you don't want to get in front of a Christian and their food, right? A very scary place for me to be, but I promise we'll be done soon. But we often use that term, don't we? Hangry. Where are all my hangry people at? Anyone, anyone here get hangry? I see some wives lifting the hands of their husbands. Um, I appreciate that. Um, it's true that physical hunger is a thing, right? We get upset when we don't have food. But how many of us know that there's a spiritual hunger that we can experience as well? How many of us have ever felt that spiritual hunger? You see, God provided physical manna in the desert to the children of Israel, which would sustain them physically. But their eyes went off the God of their salvation too quickly. And they experienced a spiritual hunger that no amount of manna or quail could satisfy. And if you read the story in Exodus, you'll see how time after time after time, these people had forgotten about what God had done. They had this kind of shallow form of connection with him. And the truth is they were out of Egypt 
and they had food to satisfy their physical hunger, but because their hearts were far from God, Egypt wasn't out of them. Physically in the promised land, mentally still in slavery. And that's representative of a heart without Christ too, isn't it? Everyone without Christ is hungry. You're, you're looking for something. You're trying to satisfy the hunger of your soul with all kinds of things. Yet you're still feeling like there must be something more that can bring me to this place of peace. And this is the wonder of the Christmas story this morning, church. Is that in and through the birth of Jesus, we have, we have the spiritual food. We have the fullness that we need to satisfy the deepest hunger of the human soul. Remember I said that the Old Testament is a parallel with the New Testament? Look at what Jesus says in John chapter 6, thinking about this story. We're actually referencing specifically the story about the manna in the wilderness. He says, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. Just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus makes this famous statement, I am the bread of life. There it is. No one, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Amen. Jesus fulfills the word, friends. He fulfills that prophecy. He, no, he, he, he says, guys, this is me. This hunger that they experienced, that was temporary. Me, I'll provide, I'll provide the satisfaction for your souls that'll never run out. Jesus is the bread of life. And this morning, friends, when we come to Christ, we can be transformed from starving to spiritually satisfied. Because Jesus is the food for your soul, even in the desert of your worst mistakes. Amen. Jesus is the food that you need. And then finally, friends, I've got a slightly shorter message this morning. Um, I was uh, ma making sure that I'll honor your guys' time. And then we're going to sing one more song as we close. But the message of the birth of Jesus tells us that we are, we are transformed from performing in strife to resting in peace. We are transformed from performing in strife to resting in peace. This story in Exodus 16 carries on to say this. He told them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake, boil what you want to boil, and set aside everything left uh, to be kept until morning. So they set it aside until morning as Moses commanded, and it didn't stink or have maggots in it. Good recipe. Exclude that from your, from your manner. Eat it today, Moses said, because tomorrow is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you won't find any in the field. Mm, working on the wrong day. Not literally like we understand work, but we'll get to it in a moment. For six days you will gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Yet on the seventh day, some of the clowns went out together, but they didn't find any. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and instructions? You see what I mean? They kept falling back. Um, understand that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he will give you two days worth of bread. Each of you, stay where you are. No one is to leave his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. What does that have to do with the story of Christmas? And how does that connect to what we're talking about this morning? Well, 
the beauty of the Christian faith that I mentioned at the beginning, friends, is that in Christ, we go from trying to earn our salvation by our own efforts to resting in faith in the one who finished the work on our behalf. You see, this is perhaps where some of the frustrations that we may have experienced with Christianity lie. Like we were told, you know, unless you do something miraculous for God, he's going to punish you. Or, you know, if something bad happens in your life, it must be because there's some kind of sin that you're carrying or bad thing that you've, that you've done. And it was like we could never be good enough to earn God's favor and blessing, you know, except if you worked at church on a Sunday. Because it seemed like the guy that stood up there had it all figured out, right? Because he was getting blessed. Is that too honest? Is that too personal? Was that just my experience? But how many of us have tried and tried and tried to supposedly do the right thing, yet we never seem to find the rest that we're after? Like there's always this element of there's, there's something more. It doesn't feel like I can, I can get to this place where I've done enough to earn God's favor. Like I keep messing up and you have to get saved again and again and again, right? Well, that way of living is what the Bible calls being justified by works. That's what it's called. It's a means of keeping the law, as it were, that we are deserving or undeserving of God's favor by virtue of our own behavior. And, you know, while we acknowledge that once we are saved, we are absolutely called to live a life that God wants us to live, to live in obedience, to live uh, and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. That's our sanctification, right? Being set apart for holiness. But what we celebrate this morning is the truth that in Christ, we no longer have to strive to be perfect to earn God's salvation. We rest in Jesus who was perfect. And we receive by faith the salvation that he purchased for us. Can you say amen to that? We no longer have to perform for peace, friends. We no longer have to perform for peace. We can rest in the one who is our peace. And I wanted to talk to someone here this morning who's feeling burnt out by all the performing. You've had the, the, you've had the performance-based version of Christianity sold to you or given to you and you were told that unless you do this, this, and this, you'll never earn God's favor. You'll never get right with God. And you've been, felt, you've, you've been left to feel tired, worn out, burdened by all the stuff that you have to do. Like Christianity became this extra admin task on an already over busy schedule. When really I wanted to tell you this morning, friend, that rest in the provision of Christ this Christmas. Rest in what he has done for you. You receive by faith the life that he purchased for you and watch how you experience a peace that transforms you from the inside out. Now Hebrews chapter 4, speaking about the Sabbath day rest, for the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. You know, we can learn from the Old Testament that if you keep striving to earn God's affection, you'll keep falling in that same pattern. And the message I wanted to leave with you this morning, friends, is just rest in the provision that is already made for you in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. His rest is eternal. His rest is perfect. And His rest is freely available by believing in Him. The transformation that we can experience this Christmas, church, is that we go from striving to resting. Amen. And uh, I started out by saying this morning, uh, friends, that our hope is that you would experience a 
refreshing revelation this Christmas and, and, and a, a refreshing encounter with who Jesus is, that through the birth of Christ, we can all recognize that we are transformed by the truth that in him, we go from wandering in the wilderness to welcomed home, no matter how far it is that you think you may have drifted. And not only that, but we also go from being starved spiritually to fully satisfied. Our souls now have the food that we need for eternity. And finally, we go from performing in strife, trying to prove that God should love us, to resting in his perfect peace that accomplished something that we could never have done on our own behalf. And all of this to say, friends, that this Christmas, may we recognize that in the celebration of Jesus' birth, the giving of gifts and the eating of amazing food and the seeing of family and going on holiday and whatever it is, we also celebrate a new way that was made for another birth this Christmas, yours and mine. For Jesus was born unto us, a Savior given, and through him we are born again unto God when we receive him as Lord. Amen. Would you stand with me, church, as we, as we pray? I'm going to welcome the band to join me back on the stage as well. I feel that uh, it would be, it would be um, amiss of me this morning as we consider the Christmas message um, and what it represents and the, uh, thanks so much, Mark, um, and the points that we spoke about in the scriptures to not offer someone here a moment just to, just to respond. You know, we're a church and, you know, we, we are, spiritual people we believe in God and we believe wholeheartedly in his salvation it's our vision that's up there on the wall and I really feel like in a, in a morning like this it would be amiss of me not to just create that moment for us to just respond and then we'll sing a song joy to the world and there'll be amazing coffee and cupcakes and your leg of lamb will be waiting for you at home I promise but um, the way that we do that as Father's house is very simple I just ask everyone to close your eyes and bow your heads just for a moment just to honor I suppose the the decision that we hope someone will make this morning, whether they're in the building or listening online. And we don't, we're not going to embarrass anybody in any way. I just simply want to lead us, as I feel led, uh, through a very, very simple prayer. It's just a prayer that says, you know, Jesus, I've, I've, I've been in the wilderness. <laughs> I've been striving. I've been trying to do things my own way. I've been forgetting. I, I've been forgetting. Maybe I was exposed to church when I was young, but I've forgotten. I'm not quite sure where I stand on this whole God and church thing anymore. And whatever background that is, our response is we just simply say, today I receive that free gift of salvation. Jesus, you, you are my rest. You, you made that possible. You are my peace. And today I receive you. That's, that's it. And so if that's you this morning, church, with every eye closed and every head bowed, I'm going to ask you very simply just to raise your hand long enough for me to see it and then you can put it down again. Just say, you know what, that's me. I want to respond. I want to say yes to the invitation of Jesus making his home in my heart this morning. Thank you. There's hands that are going up in the building and that's amazing. You can put them down again, friends. Just, yeah, just acknowledge that this is, this is your day. This is the day that we celebrate Christ's birth, but it's a day that we are celebrating your new birth. Christ was born, we're born again. And this is a, this is a miracle moment. This is why we exist as a church. And so if you didn't put your hand up, friends, I'm going to just lead you in a very simple prayer. And the rest of us, if you wouldn't mind praying these words as well, just as a way of support to those that raise their hand, and then we'll wrap up with our final song of worship. Just pray these very simple words with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Lord Jesus, today I acknowledge that you are my Savior. Please forgive me for ignoring you. 
for doing my own thing and sinning against you. Today I receive the invitation of salvation. Jesus, make your home in my heart. I follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, can we give